Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Well, good morning. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me this morning. It's an honor and privilege to be here sharing from God's Word with you. Um, I got to know Josh a little bit earlier this year, and he invited me to come on out uh, this summer while he was on vacation. And so, um, so here I am. Uh, before we get started, let's just have a word of prayer with one another. Would you pray for with me? Heavenly Father, we just come before you, and we just thank you for your Word. We thank you for the honesty, the realness of of the scenes that are in this passage this morning, Uh, the real-life people who came before you with requests, with questions, Lord. May be an example for us to go to you with whatever's going on in our life to make our desires and requests known before you. But Lord, also I pray that we would have uh, eyes to see and ears to hear uh, your teaching, your guidance, and your correction. Lord, we lift this up in your name. Amen. A little afraid of this glass podium. I saw somebody break one once. Um, I'll try not to do that. I don't think I'll slap it too hard. But um, recently, I was having a discussion with my city group. Uh, The church I go to, we have community groups. And so I was having a discussion in the community group. And before we got started... um, I think at the time there was like a lot, a big lottery, like a mega millions going on. And so people were talking about the lottery, uh, which was fun because no one in the, in the group actually played the lottery, but we just talked about it. And so somebody asked the question of, what would you do if you won the lottery, right? Have you ever thought about that? And then they put a condition on it. Like not what would you do if you won the lottery with like millions of dollars, but what would you do if you just won $1 million? That's it, just $1 million. What would you do? And so we, we were chatting about it, and people were giving their answers. And, you know, this is before our, our actual discussion got started. And I personally was shocked by the answers that were given. Um, and here are a few answers that were given that night. One person said they would buy a different house. And with this house that they bought, they would have a big library in it, and they would just fill it with books. That's what they would do. Another person said they would... Uh, pay off their house and just travel a little bit more. Uh, The one that stood out the most to me was one particular couple said if they won a million dollars, they would put it in the bank and not tell anyone. They wouldn't tell their kids at all. They would go about living life completely normal. They would wake up the next day and go to work as if nothing had ever happened. I was shocked because here I am thinking, am I, what? What are these answers people are giving? Like, am I the only one that would sell my house and sell my cars and sell everything I have and go live in a beach shack in Costa Rica or something and just enjoy life? Like, what are these answers people are giving? And it was shocking to me because I thought my answer would be normal and my answer was the weird one. And so I, I was shocked at the answers that were given. But, but that's the thing about people's desires, right? Everybody has desires, but everyone's desires are different. Your desires and my desires aren't at all the same. You might be thinking at me, who's this guy who wants a beach house? Like, no, come on. Um, 
but everyone has desires and they're different. And so, you know, when Jesus invites us to himself, he intends to disciple us and to mentor us and to apprentice us into a way of life. And one of the key topics that's going to come up, one of the key things that Jesus will bring up in our life that will come to the surface is that of our desires and our wants. And when you start to walk with Jesus, sooner or later, he is going to talk about or to address our desires. And in this passage we read this morning that Lori read for us, we have two scenes set up. And in these two scenes, they are in contrast to one another. In the first scene, you have two guys who are followers of Jesus. They are insiders with Jesus. They have followed him around, and they come up to Jesus, and they ask him, you know, the question. And then there, there's another scene, and this is with an outsider in the Jesus crowd. This is someone who had not been a follower of Jesus. And, and again, Jesus asks him the question, what do you want me to do for you? And so there are these two scenes in contrast with one another. And what we're going to see as these scenes play out is that the insiders, they're going to they're want more for themselves. And then what we're also going to see is that the outsider, what he desires is mercy. The insiders want more. The outsider wants mercy. And in that, we are meant to find ourselves. We are meant to find ourselves in that story. In, in the, in, we're meant to find ourselves in these two scenes. And Jesus intends to use these stories, these two different types, uh, to disciple our desires. He teaches us something about our desires here. And so what we have in the first scene is that we have these two guys named James and John. And what they do is they walk up to Jesus. They are the sons of Zebedee. And they walk up to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Now, if we look at the, the greater part of the passage here in Mark chapter 10, what we know that happens right before this is they're walking on the road to Jerusalem. And Jesus says, when we get there, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to rise again. So James and John, they walk up to Jesus and say, we want a favor. We'd like you to do whatever we ask of you. It's a pretty bold question, isn't it? It's a pretty bold statement that they bring forward. You know, everyone, I have, I have three kids. Their ages are four, six, and almost 10. And every once in a while, they'll come up to me and go, Dad, I want you to, to do what I want you to do. Guess how I respond? Not well. <laughs> I'm, I'm usually like, child, you must be crazy. You think that I'm going to do whatever you want me to do with no questions asked? You don't even tell me what you want. You just want something and you want the answer to be yes. And you're not even willing to say what it is you want. And so my response is usually like immediately shut it down. We are not doing whatever you ask because if you're not going to tell me what it is, it's not going to be good. So we're going to shut this down. But here you have James and John. They walk up to Jesus and they say, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And what I find so amazing about this is that Jesus doesn't respond anything like I would. He doesn't say, what's wrong with you? Come on, why are you asking me such silly questions? He simply asks them the question, what do you want me to do for you? What is, what is it that you want? 
And it amazes me because he doesn't rebuke or chastise them. He simply just asks the question, what is it you want? What are you asking? And their response is this, grant us one to set at your right hand and your left hand in your glory. And Jesus begins to teach them. He says, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking me to do. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit in my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. So what we see here in this first scene is the insiders, they want more for themselves. And we know that they're insiders because it says in verse 35 that it's James and John. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. These are two of the fab three. All throughout the Gospels, we see the disciples following Jesus around. And as they get to do important big things, Jesus calls three guys to himself, Peter, James, and John, over and over again. He says, Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying before his betrayal, he calls Peter, James, and John to go further into the garden and pray with them. And so these are two of the three core leadership team that Jesus has. These are the disciples closest to him. And so as Jesus started to gather big groups and large crowds, you would notice these two guys, James and John, out front. They're always up there out front. They're doing important things. In our terms, we might call them influencers. Like they might have podcasts or have large social media presences. These are guys that would be out front. They would be public. They would be in the know. They would be important. But you know what about James and John? It didn't always start that way for them, did it? Like at one point in time, they wanted Jesus to call down fire from heaven, heaven to consume the people that were like mocking them or that were following away. And so they needed a lot of grace along the way. And this is another example of the grace that they needed along the way. You know, <clears throat> here they are, these two guys of power and privilege. They asked Jesus, we want you to do whatever it is we want and you know what? I think it's a genuine request. Like, I don't think it's just being a punk, you know, of like wanting something nefarious or something evil. I think this was a genuine request. It was an honest request. I think they were actually taking Jesus at his word. Because all throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus saying things like, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. And so here these guys come up and they have this request. They bring their desires out in the open and they ask. You see, the problem isn't that they are asking. The problem is that their desires are off. And I, I think for myself and maybe for yourself, if you think this way too, I think all too often I go to Jesus with requests, with things that I ask for. And the problem isn't that I'm asking for things. The problem is that all too often my desires are off. And maybe you can Maybe you resonate with that. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. But there's good news with this, right? There's good news with this, is that Jesus looks at them in their request and he gently corrects them. And that's what he does for you and me as well. Um, and so we see this, first of all, Jesus graciously, gently corrects them. Did you notice what he says after they make this request? He starts using language about greatness. He looks at them and it says, 
the Gentiles, which were their surrounding culture, they do this. They do this. And so um, he uses language about greatness. So can you see yourself in this position? You finally approach Jesus. You make your request known to him. You share your desire with him. And your desire's off. And instead of rebuking you or chastising you, Jesus gently corrects you. And, and so what's happening here is as James and John make this request, what they're really saying is this. If we sit at your right hand and your left hand, we are at your side. The end of days, when everyone is gathered, when all of your followers from all the places of the earth for all times gather together to worship you, when they see you, what, the, what are they going to see? They're going to see us too. They're going to see us too. Yeah, that's what we want. And maybe it was the most genuine, real thing they could ask for, that they could think of. Because when their names were thought of, people would remember Jesus. And maybe that's what they were going for. I don't really know. But maybe they wanted to do a great thing for God and be out front. Something was wrong with the competitiveness in their being because the first thing Jesus brings up, the first thing he says is about the is about greatness and about the Gentiles. And he looks at them and he says, that the culture around you desires what you desire. The culture around you desires what you desire. The Gentiles, when they do this, they want to lord it over people. Their great ones exercise authority over others. So how Jesus responds is with this. He says, right now, what you are desiring is what anybody else in the world desires. You are just clothing it in Jesus talk. You want what anybody wants to be first, to be great, to be known. You are just using Jesus language to make it sound better. Have you ever done that? Have you ever encountered someone that does that? Have you ever gone to a church that's like that? Have you ever followed a celebrity Christian that does that sort of thing? Have you ever used Jesus' language to make your desires sound better? I have. I've done it. I've used Jesus' language for my own desires. And if you're like me, and you have too, then I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the grace with which Jesus responds. He isn't yelling at them. He extends grace. He just teaches them. He's not yelling at them or short with them or angry with them. It's nothing like that. Jesus basically just responds saying, okay, I see what you've done here. You have come to me asking just like I said you should. You have shared your desires. So now let's talk about them. The first thing is it sounds just like the Gentiles desires. And then Jesus continues with this statement. He says, it shall not be so among you. That's not the way. The phrase in verse 43 is so humbling, isn't it? I know you want to be great. It's what the culture around you wants. But let me tell you about your desires when you follow me. It shall not be so among you. So Jesus is reshaping the desires of his followers. He's reshaping the desires of his crowd, of the insiders. And he is saying to them, I am not going to lead in such a way that you think that getting more and being greater is the way to go. 
It's going to be the opposite. So he says, whoever would be great must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be servant of all. And even me, even the Son of God, I have not come to be served, but to serve. This is my way. And as we are reshaped by Jesus, it's not that we don't seek greatness anymore. It's that the kind of greatness we seek is different. They think that the less you serve, the greater you are, but they don't get it. And that gives me hope because these were Jesus' closest disciples. They followed him around for years. They saw his miracles. They saw him do good works. They saw him heal. They heard his teaching. They did some good works along the way of their own, and they still don't get it. But, the, but they have more reshaping to go on inside of them. They have more discipling that needs to take place inside of them. And just because you or I have done good things in Jesus' name does not mean that we've got it all together. It doesn't mean that we are ready to be followed. It doesn't mean that we know all the answers because honestly, we probably have some more reshaping that needs to take place inside of us as well. One of the things um, that happens when insiders want more is not only that we import worldly desires and clothe it in Jesus' talk, but another thing that happens is that we hurt people. We hurt others. We hurt other believers. I mean, look at it this way. There are 12 disciples that have been following Jesus around for years, hearing his teachings, seeing his miracles, living life with him. And two of them come up to Jesus with this request. There were three core people who followed Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And James and John made some form of alliance, left Peter out, went to Jesus and said, we want to sit by your right and left side. Essentially what they're saying is, we want to be greater than the other 10. And if you notice what happened next, the other 10, when they heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. They were upset. They were hurt. Their feelings were hurt. They were upset. This kind of rivalry or that kind of religious competitiveness or that kind of using Jesus to advance ourselves hurts people. And this can happen in churches. It has happened in churches. It's happened in churches that I've been a part of. Maybe it's happened here. I don't know. In the name of wanting to do great things for Jesus, in essence, we could say things like, we want to be better than any other church in town. We could say things like, we want to be the most known church. We want to be the ones that can do what no other church can do. We want to be the ones to bring the movement that no one else could. And those all could be genuine desires. But what we need to do next is we need to take those desires and submit them to Jesus who says, okay, you want to be a great church? And here's what you do. You serve the least. You serve the least. And we might say, hey, you know what? That might make us unknown. If all we do is behind the scenes, local neighbor stuff, then that'll make us unknown. But Jesus says, I think it's great. That's what I think is great. And even if you do get to sit at my right and left side, even if you do get to sit next to me in glory, and you get to be out front in front of all of my crowd, 
Only the Father can grant that. That's a gift. That's all of grace. And that has nothing to do with you. And so this is what Jesus wants to disrupt in his disciples. The idea that they could just do what the world does and use Jesus' talk and it will all be okay. And this is a humbling proposition, isn't it? It's not easy to know that we are doing just what the culture does because we are a part of the culture. And so at minimum, Jesus is calling us to humility. At minimum, to a bit of self-awareness a bit of self-reflection. At minimum, to say, our culture says to be great is to amass more power, status, and position. And Jesus says to be great is to give it all away for the sake of others. If I do that, then I might get overlooked by the people that want to be great. But I will clearly be seen by the one who is great. And there is the crossroads for the disciple of Jesus and he invites us to it. And then it seems an intentional contrast, right? Because there's another scene that plays out. So let's look at the next scene for a moment. And this is the one with the outsider. His name is Bartimaeus. And he cries out for mercy. You know, he's an outsider because it says he's a blind beggar. And I want you to notice the parallelism of language here. Notice that we have James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and now we have Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. These three people have parents. They have lived lives. They are ordinary human beings. But in the context of life circumstances, they have had very different experiences. James and John are people of privilege. And as such, they desire, their tendency is to seek out more privilege. Right? Bartimaeus is a blind beggar, which is a double whammy because he's not only blind, but he's also poor. And as such, his desire is mercy. He's the type of person that sits by the roadside with a sign that's held up and he needs your help. He depends on what you give to him. He is the person who, as people walk by, they often say things like, he just wants it for drugs, right? That's who we're talking about here. This is Bartimaeus. He doesn't have anything at all. He's dependent on what others give to him. And what I want you to notice is that as he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming by, what does he begin to do? He begins to yell out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he yells over and over again, Son of David, have mercy on me. And what do the followers of Jesus do? What does the church do in that moment? They rebuke him and tell him to be quiet. That's what they do. And there's something must have been inside of this guy. There's something inside of Bartimaeus where he's like, no, it's not going to happen. Because as he hears the son of David, as he hears of Jesus Christ walking by, he begins to shout all the more. Like, he's almost saying like, do you know who this is? Like, if there's any hope I have in life, it rests squarely upon his shoulders. And you want me to be quiet? That's not happening. And so he shouts over and over and over again, have mercy on me. And he ignores the others telling him to be quiet. And what happens is that Jesus notices him. 
And Jesus calls him over to himself. And then he asks the same exact question that he asked the James and John. What do you want me to do for you? And I think, and there it is, like, if you're an insider, or maybe you're a person who, who's grown up privileged, or, or you may think that Jesus just kind of favors you, right? That you are in the crowd, and Jesus just kind of stops everything at that moment to pay attention to a blind beggar who has nothing. And he asks them the same question that he just asked his closest disciples, what do you want me to do for you? Now put yourself in Bartimaeus' shoes. You have the Son of God, the King of the universe, standing in front of you, and you get to ask him anything you want. And Bartimaeus looks him in the eye and says, I'd like to see. And that, that for me, is also humbling. Because if I was in that position, standing in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want? That's probably not going to be my answer. Like, yes, I would probably say, I'd like to see. But then I would also say, and... And I would like these other things, right? He's not just blind, he's also poor. So I would like maybe some wealth, maybe a house, maybe a job, maybe a wife, maybe a family, maybe a a shiny new donkey. I don't know. Like I would ask for lots of things. And Bartimaeus just looks and says, I'd like to see. And Jesus responds and says, okay, your faith has made you well, go. And I want you to notice what Bartimaeus does. He, begins, he gets up, his sight restored, and he follows Jesus along the way. I want you to notice his heart. He got to see Jesus, and what else is there to see? He just begins to follow him. So as these two stories unfold, we see these contrasts of James and John and Bartimaeus. But I want you to also notice that there are some similarities in these stories. Uh, first of all, in both accounts, Jesus is confronted with a request. Secondly, Jesus initially responds to that request by saying, what do you want me to do for you? Next, the parties making their request clearly understand who Jesus is. James and John have been following Jesus. They know who he is. Bartimaeus calls out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He knows who Jesus is. And so because they clearly understand who Jesus is, that prompts them to lay before Jesus their true heart's desire. What do they want most in the world? But there's a fourth similarity that exists, and this one's a little bit more subtle. Underneath the surface of the narrative, in both cases, the party making the request is suffering from blindness. This emerges when we view the differences between the two accounts. Well, well, Jesus asked both the sons of Zebedee as well as Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? James and John request glory, while Bartimaeus request mercy. James and John thought they deserved honor and received a no from Jesus. Bartimaeus knew he deserved nothing and received a yes from Jesus. James and John came with a sense of entitlement. Bartimaeus, whose very name means son of uncleanness or son of filth, he came with a sense of unworthiness. James and John, while physically seeing, 
were spiritually blind. Bartimaeus, while physically blind, was spiritually seeing. All three men were blind, but only Bartimaeus knew it. The strange way naturally blind human beings like you and I receive true sight is by asking for mercy. All it takes is an admission of personal blindness. And what stops mercy from flowing into the lives of blind sinners is not the blindness itself, because that's the very reason why Jesus came. What stops mercy from flowing into the lives of blind sinners like you and I is the stubborn denial of our blindness. Charles Spurgeon preached, if you have anything of your own, you must leave it all before you come. If there is anything good in you, you cannot trust Christ. All we bring is our need. All we bring is our blindness. How can the solution to, hu- to the rebellious human blindness be so easy? The solution, it's so easy, is because of Jesus. Jesus Christ was in the deepest sense seeing. He's the only person to walk this earth never to have been blinded by sin. Yet he came to the end of his life and received not what he deserved, which was a crown, but instead he deserved, he got what we deserve, which was a cross. He explained to his disciples in the wake of James and John's request, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. On the cross, Jesus allowed himself to become blind so that you and I, blind sinners, can see again. He came to open the eyes that are blind, not by teaching, not by exhortation, but by substitution. He did it in our place. Jesus asked the sons of Zebedee, and he also asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Crucially, he asked this question a third time. Not to any humans, but to his own father. What do you want me to do for you? James and John asked Jesus for glory. Bartimaeus asked Jesus for mercy. God the Father asked Jesus Christ to lay down his life, securing both glory and mercy for those who admit their blindness and cling to Christ. If you are a Christian this morning, can I ask you to do something? Can I ask you to investigate and maybe search your heart and ask yourself, what are my desires? What do I desire most in this life? Are my desires lined up with Jesus? And hear me this morning. Hear me clearly. I'm not saying your desires are bad or wrong or evil. I mean, they could be, but I think for most of us, they probably aren't. But what I'm also saying is that they might not be fully aligned with Jesus' desires. Like the things of this world that you might want might be important. They might be things that you desire that, that are great. They might be just basic needs. But that doesn't necessarily mean they are lined up with what Jesus wants for us. And so maybe it's going to take some self-reflection and maybe some real honesty in ourselves and, and that we need to fully admit those desires to Jesus. And maybe what repentance looks like for you now is saying, Lord, thank you for reminding me of this, that these things are not the way. 
please help me to desire what you desire. Please help me to desire the things that will ultimately make you known and give you glory. And this morning, maybe, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you are not a follower of Christ. And, and maybe this will require a deeper level of introspection. Maybe all of your life you have heard that you've got to clean yourself up. You've got to learn all this stuff. You've got to jump through all these hoops in order to come to Jesus. But ultimately, it just comes down to admitting your own blindness and accepting that Jesus is the only way to both grace and mercy. That Jesus is the only way to salvation. That Jesus is the only way to see again. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a -A K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.